0: Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm so glad that you're here today. Today we're going to talk about using diagnostics. Recently, we had to take our car in the the red check engine light had come on. And speaking about that red light, how many of you out there are in the category that if the light goes on, you take in the car immediately? That's me, too. And how many of you are the people that drive it until other factors in addition to the light goes on? Well, that's George. <laughs> I'm not really sure about what that says about our differences, but we did take the car in and they ran a diagnostic. Those diagnostics are pretty handy, right? They help us figure out the issue and then they can work on it. And every car has some basics that need to be functioning to run well. I'm sure there are lots of different car diagnostic tools, but they probably look for similar things for all different makes and models. And why are those functions important? Our car doesn't run if they aren't working. I'm not a car person, but I am a teacher. I used to teach high school English, and then this last year I tried something new and taught fourth and fifth grade online. As a teacher, we use diagnostic tools as well, and it just helps us measure measure things. It informs of the effectiveness of instruction. It tells us where students are at, and maybe you're a past student, and you're like, oh, I hate those tools. Um, maybe you're a teacher, and you're like, yeah, a good rubric tells a lot of different things, or a good assessment. Uh, really helps us, but they help us have benchmarks to look for where we're at. As a Christian, the Bible is a great diagnostic tool for our lives. It's a window to see through, it's a lamp to help to see where to go, and really a mirror to help see ourselves. And we're in a series of 1 John, and John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. However, early in his time with Jesus, Jesus nicknamed him and his brother James the, Th- the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> he had some things to work through. Uh, like all of us, John wanted to stop a man from driving demons out of people. Uh, he asked if he could command fire to come down to consume a village because they weren't hospitable to Jesus. He had his mom ask Jesus to grant him special places of authority next to Jesus in the coming kingdom. And um, John claimed great love for Jesus early on, yet these prior scenes don't reflect a deep understanding of the kind of love Jesus taught and lived. Yet, when we jump ahead to John's leadership of the church at Ephesus, where he spent his final years, his perspective (laughs) had changed greatly. Now he spoke mostly of love, the simple and selfless Christ-like love. An early tradition actually reports that in an old age, John eventually became too weak to walk and was carried to church meetings on a pallet where he would whisper just again and again, little children, love one another. After John spent much time with Jesus on earth and many years as a leader of the early church with many issues to address in addressing the early Christians, his message became only more basic. Um, Love one another, he pleaded over and over. I think he had come to understand the essence of Jesus and of God the Father. He understood why Jesus came, why he died and rose, and why he promised a fantastic future for his own. Jesus possesses a love like no other, a love that only God can supply, and those who know Jesus can do nothing else but reflect that same love. The gospel message remains this simple love God and love your neighbor as yourself jesus brought a transformation in john changing his maybe aggression and pride to a love for christ and others john comes back to this over and over because it's important our families our churches really don't run without love right some things are baseline important pieces of walking out our faith just like our car or education if we don't get the love integrity foundation right nothing else can be right these are really diagnostics of our spiritual lives and i want you to picture john when he's writing First John. He's maybe around 90 years of age. He's the last of the original apostles. And Christianity has spread far and wide. And because of the overthrow and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, John has moved to Ephesus. He is now writing to the believers as the last survivor of those who had been with Jesus. Imagine that, he's been with Jesus, right, for a long time. And it's his desire to set the record straight concerning Jesus for already many false doctrines had began to infiltrate the church." Maybe this sounds like it might help some insight to help with us today. So let's take a look at 1 John chapter 2. And let's look at this. It's a first diagnostic. Do we have a relationship with God? 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, "'My dear children, I write this to you "'so that you will not sin. "'But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate "'with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. So the first thing is, do you have a relationship with a father? Do you see him as your personal advocate? If you've had a loving relationship with a parent, you know how much they love you. Or if you are a parent, you know how much you love your child. You want a good relationship. And in that relationship, you tell you know what bothers you, what doesn't. Our daughter Novella has this really strong conscience she really feels when something's off. Her stomach's probably her diagnostic. She has a short book of um, like short stories, and there's one George and I just felt wasn't quite right for her age. It was a bit too mature to read yet. However, one night she read it without telling us, and words, she felt so guilty. She had this awful stomach ache, and she said, "'Mom, I just have something to tell you. "'I read the chapter that you told me not to read.'" And after that she said, "'Mom, my stomach's not hurting, and I felt so much better.'" And yes, she she went out of boundaries, but we were able to talk about it because we love each other. And I think that's true with our relationship with Christ. There's no point in hiding. If we pretend to be in fellowship with Him and walking in the dark, we're really telling lies. And if we say we have no sin, we're we're simply deceiving ourselves, as the Bible says. But we don't <laughs> deceive God. He knows. And if we tried to say that we were not sinners, we would be making matters worse. That blood, that sacrificial death, that God life given on our behalf in our place is available for all who walk in the light. That doesn't mean we have to get our act together, morally speaking, before God can do anything. What it means is that when we consciously turn to the light, when we face up to what's gone wrong in the past and don't try to hide it, and we are determined to live that way from now on, two things happen. First, we find ourselves sharing that kind of intimate God life with God, but then each other. Like, we should have both. And sometimes that each other is the harder part. You know, like, God deals with us inside, with the stain of our sin, with the dirtiness of our sin, that ugly feeling like like Novella fills in our stomach when things go wrong and we can't get rid of it. And when we turn to the light and walk in it, it's Jesus, it like, lifts it. There's freedom in that. I think that's why John encourages us to face up to the past. There's really no point in hiding. He's going to see. He knows what happened. I just, that's our diagnostic one. Do we know God and do we have a loving relationship with him? Let's look at diagnostic number two, integrity. First John 2, 3 through 5 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Um, In our spiritual growth class, The Journey Track, we often talk about the concept of Christians being educated beyond their obedience. Uh, When we learn a biblical principle or talk about it, do we actually put it into practice? Do we live it out? And we've all heard this saying, actions speak louder than words. Uh, It's easier to see this in other people. (laughs) It's easy to see when someone's actions and words aren't lining up. Um, But we need to look at our own life too. Are our actions and words aligned? Sometimes it's hard to honestly assess our lives. And oftentimes, Christians are really known for being judgmental. When we preach, do our actions line up? People are really watching our lives. And if the actions and words are not aligned, our impact really will be minimized. How do we get our actions and words lined up? Uh, specifically in this area of loving your neighbor. You want to say what we mean and mean what we say in basically all areas of our lives, and our neighbor will know not what I just say to them, right, but what will you do for them. They might listen to what we say, but we do really want to live in such a way that it's not how what we say, but how we live our life. Um, so we really want that integrity for our words and actions to align and we're obedient. The third diagnostic is loving people. First John 2, seven through nine says, "'Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining.' Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So what does it mean to live as Jesus did? The word live is literally walk in common. It's a common Jewish metaphor for how one conducts oneself through the course of life. So how do you know if you really know Jesus? 1 John 2, 3 through 6 provides a diagnostic to check if we are the real deal or not. If one who keeps Jesus's commands, they keep their word and walks in love is the one who knows Jesus. But the point is, this, it's a diagnostic. If you truly know Jesus, that relationship will bear real fruit. A lot of times we have fake fruit, right? We need a diagnostic because relationships really are somewhat intangible. You can look at a relationship, you can't really touch a relationship, but the qualities of our relationships are revealed by what we do and what we say, right? So it becomes clear who you love and by what you do. And in um, chapters two through nine through 10, uh, John spells the implications of keeping his commands. It means showing love to one's brother and sister. Consequently, a failure to love is evidence one maybe doesn't know Jesus, and knowing Jesus is evidenced by love. And love is clearly defined, if we jump to uh, 1 John three sixteen, it says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So this kind of love is required, basically nothing less than sacrificial, life-giving love demonstrated by Jesus himself. And love is a commitment to each other, right? We're committed to our brothers and sisters. And so John really connects love with knowing God. Believers are to love one another since love comes from God. It is not possible to love God and not also love one's brother and sister. By loving like Jesus, we are able to live like Jesus and for Jesus. And really, we're relational beings. This is because God is a relational God. He has three persons in one, right? We have Father, Son, Spirit, existing together, in mutuality and dwelling relationships. And this might be um, maybe about theology, but is the goal of theology the what you know or is it the who you know? You know, I can learn many facts about God in the Bible, um, maybe even learn its original languages, read theology books, or, you know, quote, church fathers from memory, but what's the point if all of that is if I don't actually have a relationship with the Father? You know, sometimes facts and information are really important, right? I'm not saying that they're not, but if we let other things get in the way of our relational knowing of God, that becomes part of the issue, right? Love is sacrificial. It's a commandment modeled on Jesus's sacrificial love for us. Uh, It says, whoever obeys his word in them, love for God is made complete. You know, this is another diagnostic tool. He's saying that someone with real love for God will naturally obey because of of his sacrificial commitment to him. The intangible nature of the relationship is revealed by what we do. And if you think about our battle against sin, the winning solution is not greater discipline. Um, I'm not saying discipline, discipline isn't helpful. It is. Discipline is helpful. But love can be a more powerful um, tool than discipline. None of us will vanquish you know, sin, the sight of eternity. But I do think the more time we spend with God, the more we love God and are able to obey His commands and want to obey His commands, loving our brother and sister, to reflect His character. John also draws a strong distinction between hate and love. Hate really lives in darkness, while love is in the light. So if we think about love can be understood as both old and new, it's old because it goes all the way back to Moses, right? If we think about that, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus nineteen eighteen. throughout the love of God and of Jesus is connected to the love of believers right? We have that up relationship with God and then the out relationship with each other. And John 2, 8 says, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So if we look at that here, the love is connected to light. The truth of love can be seen in true light. You know, like, we want to expose those things. But what does John mean by the darkness and light? The darkness is a metaphor for the world in opposition to God. The true light refers to life in Christ. Jesus' love and the love of his disciples is the light shining in the darkness of the world in rebellion against God. And if we look at the verses— Um, We can call it a hater. How about that? We can be like Taylor Swift. Hater's going to hate, 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 right? So a hater does not belong to Jesus, but to the world. But the same token, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. Light and love really go together. And then, so what does John mean by hate and love? Um, Hate must be pretty strong, right? Because John excludes a hater from fellowship in the light. So he excludes those two. He kind of points them in two different directions. And John does not address love and hate in general terms. They are both seen in respect to a relationship, right? To one's brother and sister. So while John occasionally refers to love in more general terms, his dominant concern is love for God and for brothers and sisters, fellow believers, right? This is kind of in the context of the church. And really the dichotomy of love and hate and light and darkness present life through some contrasts, right? There's um, two sides. And I think most of our experiences tend to be more complicated and nuanced than two sides. But I think John's point is to remind readers that there are kind of two sides. Are you living in the light or the darkness? Are you living in love or in hate? You know, ultimately either one of us of is of the world and in darkness, or one belongs to Jesus in the light. Therefore, basically hate and love become outward signs of someone's true spiritual reality. It's a diagnostic, right? And can I t- decide that for you? No, like I'm not, we don't wanna judge, but it's a diagnostic for our own lives. And so really the light reveals all, allowing the believer to direct his or her steps with care. It, however, the hater, right, we're gonna call it the hater, is in the darkness and so walks around in the darkness. And as we talked about before, um, walking is a familiar Jewish idiom for one's life conduct. Does the darkness define one's being and one's doing? And in John, it says they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And really, if we think about it, spiritual darkness is disabling, especially if you're in that spot, those um, are basically blinded to the way they should go. If you've ever been in the dark, it's hard to see, right? And the implications of this are huge. For every aspect of the world, right? If we think about loving people, loving people's hard. (laughs) Like, love everyone. Well, okay. Uh, But it's harder than it sounds. Uh, In fact, love for each other can be one of the greatest challenges challenges believers will face. Um, And it's like, wow, why is it so hard to love someone? If you are in a family and have a brother and sister, maybe that can help us. You know, sometimes when you're close with someone, you say worse things than if you're not as close with them. You know, we can quarrel, we can argue. So we can treat our siblings with like a harshness that most of us would never extend to non-family. And maybe we do that with fellow believers. We're spiritual brothers and sisters. And um, of course, there are plenty of other reasons that cause Christians to fall out with each other, right? Um, if you think about our world right now, what are the tensions in our world? You can think about theological disagreements. You could um, think about differences of opinion on how a church should run, politics, parenting. <laughs> There's, or The list could go on and on. There's lots of things, right? And we have to almost go above those things to love one another. And uh, part of the pain of, such this, of the disagreements is that Wow, the church is united, right? Like we're a united church to be of one mind. If you look at Philippians 2, 2, it talks about that. So when we disagree, it really hurts. We add hurt to our differences. And that's really when divisions set in. Um, but divisions really can be overcome by love. I think that's why John talks about love so much. I think too, failure to love is also one of the worst things we can do. For the church in the eyes of the outside world. So, if people are looking in, how are we any different from the world? If there is like conflict and fighting within the church, how can we possibly claim that people of love to a person, uh, like a world that desperately needs it, right? Where we claim we're, we love people, but then we fight. And really, those feuds dishonor Christ. Uh, I think when a brother or sister wrongs us, it would really help us to remember the extent of Jesus' love. He endured ridicule and mockery for the sake of love. Uh, he was the re- recipient of injustice. Sometimes we have real reason to talk back, right? There was an injustice, not fair. Um, and we do need boundaries, I'm not saying that. But in a lot of ways, Jesus didn't retaliate. If you look at First Peter two twenty three, 23, uh, sacrificial love bears the cost of any offense against oneself and chooses to respond with Kindness. You know, if if more believers were able to uh, overcome their anger, their distrust, and resentment with love, we might see a more unified and loving church, right? The church global church, you know, maybe the u s. church. Loving our brothers and sisters involves more than just overcoming conflict. um, even in the absence of difficulty, Love can be hard because love requires proactivity. When I was thinking about this, I was like, ooh, this is a good one. Uh, we're so often absorbed in the busyness of life, and like, let's say a friend is going through something, we might miss an opportunity to extend sacrificial love towards others because it's costly. Um, it takes time, it takes money. Sometimes I'm like, let me know if you need anything instead of just doing something. We wanna do be proactive, and we wanna consider their need Without having them to ask, you know, we wanna think about their good. You know, so often George is so good at doing this proactive stuff. I'm like the no, we're not gonna offend someone, we're gonna invade their space. But sometimes you just need to show up or call or drop off a meal, anything that helps, right? We wanna express the same love that Christ gives to us towards each other. We want to imitate Christ, right? We wanna have his example of love and reflect that deep love that only Christ can give. We're gonna we're gonna fail, we're gonna mess it up, but we wanna be reflections of that love. And by loving each other, we demonstrate that we truly understand who God is and that we truly know Him, right? If we know Him, we wanna reflect that. But we know that every family has conflicts, right? Um, all brothers and sisters battle each other from time to time, but there is a difference from a prolonged stance of hatred, right? Um, if, if siblings come to that point, to a settled position of hate, in some ways they effectively cease to be siblings, right? They don't have a relationship anymore. Kind of, it's this kind of unrepentant, active hate that tears families apart, right? Instead of loving, sacrificial commitment that is self serving towards um, another. So if hate is committed to anything, it is the destruction of its object. If we think about what is hate, hate enjoys seeing the enemy suffer. Hate longs for its enemies to suffer misfortune. Um, Hate justifies selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride today is a big issue, right? And um, individuals who adopt a prolonged stance of hate threaten to tear churches apart, friendships apart, and families apart. In some ways, more than that, according to John, they reveal themselves not to be a true brother and sister, right? If they're in that prolonged hate, their hatred reveals that they belong to the darkness and not to the light. And again, we're all gonna be there. We're all gonna go through these seasons, right? But it's that diagnostic tool, am I hating? Who am I loving? Who am I not loving? And so we want to be in the light. We wanna ask God, not John, John says to ask God to expose You know, this is areas of of hate in our lives. Use the light to uh, um, expose those things and turn and repent. And it's not going to last forever, right? And sometimes we can talk to people, we can pray for people, and they're not going to turn. But there is time, right? Eventually, we pray that people come to the light. We really don't have control over people's hearts. You know, like I said, we might encourage, maybe even rebuke and instruct, but we can't really bring that hater, right? We bring Taylor Swift back into this. Haters gonna hate, hate, hate. They have to repent, right? My, I have to repent. I'm a hater, I need to repent. And so really thinking about living in that light versus the darkness. God is both light and love. Um, And if we live in the light, it involves love, right? Believers are to shape their lives by this guiding principle of love. But When we have discussions or decisions that have to be made, the loving choice is always the right one, right? With love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love will never cause us to trip up. Since love is always the right choice, it will not lead us astray. It may be difficult. Remember, love might be one of the hardest things that we do as a Christian. It may hurt at times, it's unfair. it's, you know, unjust, but living by the light of God's love is the safe, the right, and the true way, you know, believers. It says live in the light and love. And if we look at the other side, the contrary side, living in the darkness is to live by the rule of hate and lovelessness. The trouble with these things, apart from being wholly opposed to God, is that they're not reliable guides. Think about the dark. When you're in the dark, you can't see. Living by hate and lovelessness does not lead to good places. Hate tends to turn inward. It often devours the hater, the person, uh, leaving them as an empty shell or is it almost like rotten fruit or fake fruit, right? You might say something but not do thing. Uh, It spirals from one negative place to the next without recourse or correction. You're still living in the dark. Hate does the most damage oftentimes to other people but to the hater themselves. And choosing to love may hurt, it might humble us, it takes away that pride. It does require to ask for forgiveness and let go of injustices. And again, with that injustice piece, you got to be wise about that and have boundaries and all that, but, um, but to love above all else, right? God's love will overcome our stubborn hearts if we let it, and it will lead others to the God who is love. It's a, a tangible representation of that. And really, to know God is to love Him. As we grow in our knowledge of Him, so too will our love grow for each other. Let me pray for us. Um, Love is one of the hardest things to do, right? In our families, it's one of the best things and the hardest things with our friends, with maybe other churches, for the church at large, for people that don't have the same opinions of us. So let me pray uh, as we move into worship. God, thank you for being the author of love, for demonstrating that love. And I just pray that um, we would know you as that advocate that is for us, you're not against us, Help us to be mirrors and reflect your love for each other. Um, Light up our hearts, our minds, our actions. Um, Let us look and use it as a diagnostic in our lives and help us see um, in honesty where we're at and where we can grow. I thank you that you see us um, and you help us grow and you help us have your characteristics. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info@gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.